0: Okay. A little bit of energy in the house today. Now, I want to introduce you to a, to a, a guy who I've um, known for, a, gee whiz, a long time. Close to 30 years. Close to 30 oh. years. Uh, Rob has been um, a friend that we sort of haven't seen a lot of, but whenever we do, we sort of connect fairly quickly. Rob, uh, was a, you were a Church of Christ pastor at one yeah, stage in your true. earlier life. And then Rob um, and his wife Karen planted a church in a tavern down at Scarborough. Yeah. And I remember going to that tavern, um, and uh, communion was pretty exciting, <laughs> um, but he, was, uh, he ran a church in a tavern, and from there he birthed a church called Beachway. Some of you may know, it had a kids' playground in it down there at Scarborough. Um, that church became, was a vineyard church and later on became a 3C church. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rob, you also headed up the vineyard um, in WA? for a time not long okay well just take it yeah Yeah, Um, from that Rob um, has had an interesting journey and he's going to share some of that with you so I'm not going to steal that um, from him but um, he has had an interesting journey and he's been bold enough to share some of that with us um, today so we're really blessed to have you I've actually really wanted Rob to come and share and I, I pity it's a long weekend but this is the only one I could grab so if you hear this message today and you go, wow, someone needs to hear this, or, or we've got to tell someone who's not here. I know we've got about, if you think the rapture's happened and you've been left behind, it's not true. It's just a long weekend and the people have gone down south. And if it had, remember that the dead in Christ rise first anyway, so you're all right. But those that are away, um, we've got about, tw- I think I counted about 15 families away today. Um, so if those who are away, just say, get online and listen to the podcast, because we will be podcasting, is that okay? And uh, check it out as you hear this message. So with that, how about we pray for Rob? And uh, I'm just going to let you go for it. Okay. Father God, thank you for this man. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for the journey that you've taken him through. But thank you, God, that you are so real in his life. Um, We give you glory and praise today that as we hear this story, as we hear this man share his heart, but also his teachings with us today. Uh, jesus you will be glorified amen, amen. For it,
1: Thank you. Mike. hello
0: mike rob <laughs>
1: <laughs> steve yep. it's a shame mark's not here please uh send our love um no we have known karen i've known steve and mark for a long time and i do remember during your kelmscott days we had went to church and had lunch with these guys very hospitable and sort of from a distance, have uh, sort of followed their um, yeah a little bit of your journey, and I just want to commend Steve and Mark because you may not be able to appreciate, but to be in ministry it must be close to thirty years. Uh, doesn't happen without a few scars and a few hits along the way, and so I really uh, admire your. It's not so much your longevity, but yeah, your faithfulness, your loyalty, and uh, your passion. Steve would have to be one of the most energetic, um, positive people I know, are you the sort of guy, and you can say yes or no, but are you (laughs) the sort of guy, when you wake up in the morning, it's like, (gasps) ah, you're, no, no? oh, good, (laughs) because man, this guy's like the energizer buddy, it's just like, uh, he's just, it's a coffee, (laughs) how many coffees do you have a day? I can't say that. Oh, okay, so it's, No, what a great couple and what an absolutely fantastic uh, church and what God has been doing for decades, just not only in the community, but in our city, uh, Kalamunda Church Christ. You guys have just got, uh, yeah, you've been a a very strong, faithful community for a long time. You've sent probably hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, across the world into missions. And I just want to commend each of you, part of this community, for Your love for God and love for people. Uh, So, I'm not some mysterious uh, speaker that just comes and goes and, well, who was that guy? Just very, very briefly, I've been married for 27 years uh, to Karen. She's Baptist. I was Church of Christ. There was a little bit of uh, cross pollination happening there. We've got two children, Emily and Jake. Emily's uh, nearly 23. Jake's nearly, well, actually, Emily turned 23 on the 1st of June. So, she's 23. Son's 21, she lives in Sydney. Uh, that's a whole story. She went for a year to study at C3 Oxford Falls, just for a year, Dad. And uh, she's been there for about three years now. So that, that's all fine. And then just uh, even going further back, I actually grew up in Sydney. So anyone from the East Coast, anyone from Sydney? what was well, a few of you. So I grew up in a place uh, called Duneside. You know, Duneside, Blacktown. So it's the western suburbs, but it's not the same as the western suburbs of Perth. It's a lot more of a a blue-collar worker type uh, upbringing. Um, And so mum, dad, uh, three sisters, three younger sisters. My dad was a Church of Christ pastor. My grandfather was a Church of Christ pastor. And I've got a feeling along the way as I was growing up, dad said, whatever you do, son, do not. (laughs) Don't go down this road. And when I said, oh, I'm going to study horticulture, I was like, yes, yes. And then a few later, a few years later, it was like, Dad, I, I think I've got a calling to minister. It was like, don't do it, son. Um, he's had a particular journey that was, uh, yeah, a, a little bit bumpy. I'll probably share a little bit of that in the journey. And then, long story short, got a phone call from a man called Graeme Carslake who said, hey, Rob, how would you like to come to Perth? And be youth pastor of Warwick Church of Christ. I knew one person in Perth, and so I stayed with him for a few years and eventually met Karen and went back where I started. So here I am. I'm now sort of more of an itinerant, I guess, uh, itinerant or um, irritant. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> an irritant pastor that goes from church to church. And I've got a message, and and this has now become my life message. And really, my platform this morning is from pain. It's not a platform that I've got by spending years studying uh, commentaries and whatever. Over the last couple of years, my pain has become my platform. And I'm honoured to share a little bit of my journey and a message that I believe is very redemptive with you. And so let me just start by asking the question, have have you ever seen kids play sports? And when I talk about kids, I'm talking not 15-year-olds, I'm talking like five, six-year-olds playing soccer or OzKick. And what what happens, you know, they might, at the beginning of the game, have a bit of a strategy. Okay, you're the midfield, you're the back, you're the forwards, and we'll swap it later. But the moment that whistle goes, it's like all these kids just go, (laughs) and they just follow the ball. These two teams are just this (laughs) huddle following the ball. And it's just the way sport is, because sport, when it's kid sport, can be summed up by the word fun. It's not about winning, although quite often I'd say to my son when he was doing Oz Kick, you know, everyone won. He says, No, we won. We won 25 to 20. It's like, no, everyone wins. No, no, Dad. No. It's just it, it's fun. Unfortunately, that wasn't my first experience of team sport. I was about six years of age and I joined the Duneside soccer team. And so on the Saturday morning there was never sport on a Sunday. On a Saturday morning, my dad took me to my very first soccer match, at least it was practice. And so I've never played soccer before, but I just thought I I love running and I love being outdoors. And so here I am, you know, part of the Duneside Soccer Club and and the whistle went and there are these two teams following the ball. And in a moment, I I suddenly felt I, I don't know what to do. And so these two teams are just following the ball frantically, energetically and I'm standing almost near the goalkeeper thinking, I, I, I don't know what to do. And there was this sense of, I really hope the ball doesn't come to me because I, 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 I don't want to make a mistake. I don't know where that came from as a six-year-old because even in that moment, I was not having fun. It was just more this, I I don't want to be exposed as incompetent. And I still remember this old brown leather soccer ball leaving the pack and coming towards me. And it was just this instinctive thing. I just closed my eyes and hoped that I made contact. And I did, except the ball went out of play. And out of the pack of those two teams, one boy yells out, why'd you kick the ball out? Out, out, out. And in that moment, my worst fear, even as a six-year-old, became a reality. I was publicly exposed as incompetent. I don't belong. I don't remember the rest of the game, but I do remember the walk home with my dad. Now, I did say my dad was in ministry. I was actually born during dad's last year of theological training. In fact, I was born in October. So, I imagine I was born about a month before his final exams. So, I can imagine what that would have been like for dad And after about a year, 18 months of ministry, my father had a breakdown and he left ministry as a broken man. He suffered at this stage when I was playing soccer, he was suffering with depression. He was on medication, he was unemployed and possibly unemployable at that stage. And so we were very, well, he was certainly very disengaged from me. He didn't really know how to be a father. He was just surviving. So on this walk home, and I call it my walk of shame, as I'm walking home and Dad is silent, he's not saying, hey, you kicked that ball really good. It's a shame it went out. It was just this sense of silence. And as we're walking... I broke the silence by saying to Dad, I quit. Again, silence. I began to join the dots that were never there to be joined, but as a kid, when there is a disengagement, when there is a passivity and a silence, you just make, oh, Dad was embarrassed. My Dad agrees with my decision." Get out and don't ever put yourself in that place again. No sense of, hey, son, here's a deal, don't quit. I know what it's like to quit and you will live re- with regrets. What I will do when you get home from school, because he's unemployed... I will spend time with you in the afternoon and we'll practice. Why don't we get one of your friends who's really good at so? It was none of that. No, when I got home, there was no him talking to mum in front of me saying, you should have seen your son. He kicked the ball so you know, it was just It was silence and disengagement. And that's when shame entered into my world. Shame is menacing inferiority. This is what shame sounds like. I didn't make a mistake. I am a mistake. I didn't fail. I am a failure. I didn't quit. I am a quitter. That's what shame is. Shame is that sense of inferiority. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not confident enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not blank enough. Menacing inferiority. And so what happened for me, I can see it now, that, th- that entry point of shame, it began to influence my emotions, it began to influence my behaviours, it began to influence all the decisions. My life from the age of six was all about protect. Don't ever allow anyone to get to know that I am incompetent. I'm a mistake, I'm a failure, I'm a quitter, I'm not good enough. And that became a pathway into over 10 years of struggling with my mental health. That became the trigger point, the pathway into an anxiety disorder that resulted in panic attacks, On planes, in restaurants and cafes, at the movies, when I go out surfing, almost every place that I would find enjoyable, fulfilling became a place of a potential panic attack. I then began to be anxious about being anxious. I became uh, this sense of: Will I have a panic attack at this place? Will it be so bad that I will have to leave? which then brought shame. So shame became a pathway to anxiety and anxiety exacerbated this sense of shame. And for the last seven years of ministry, I was a medicated pastor. Anxiety disorder, medication, panic attacks, I, I cannot even count well over 100, insomnia and just this constant sense, even as a pastor in ministry thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not anointed enough. I'm not gifted enough. And just this sense of waiting for the next opportunity to fail and to be exposed as incompetent. Already I'm connecting to a number of people when I talk about mental health. But there's more to shame than the association of mental health. You can feel shame for a number of things. There could be the shame of an addiction, gambling, pornography, alcohol, sleeping tablets. That that shame of your life is so out of control. The only way to survive and to cope and to function is... The shame of bankruptcy, the shame of unmanageable debt, the shame of sexual abuse. Even though you were so young and innocent and were the victim, there's still this sense of inferiority, this menacing inferiority called shame. Moral failure, that sense of I cannot believe what I did in the past, and it goes beyond guilt. It's shame, it's menacing inferiority. Let's go back in time to the Genesis narrative and see if we can glean something from the first man and the first woman when it comes to the issue of shame. And we read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 25, the two of them, the man and his wife, were naked but felt no shame. So here we have Adam and Eve, the first humans, living in a time where they felt no shame. We can only imagine what that must be like. To live without any sense of being self-conscious, self-absorbed. There was no uh, sense for for God's plan that we would ever compare ourselves to each other. There would never be that sense of looking in the mirror and feeling, oh, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not strong enough. We were never meant to be self-conscious. We were never meant to live the selfie life. you know, how many followers have you got? How many likes have you got? That was never God's plan for the first man, the first woman, they felt no shame. There was never a time Eve said to Adam, do you think my thighs are getting bigger? Please say no. There was never a time where Adam said, hey, check out these pecs they're not man boobs, <laughs> no shame, no self-conscious, no just this sense of we are naked but it could it be that they were actually clothed with the glory of God and then we read in Genesis chapter 3 that there was this time where God as would be his habit in the cool of the garden There would be this ruffling, this sort of sound of, oh, God's approaching. And even though the garden, you know, God's presence is wholly manifested, there's this sense of throughout the day or different times of the day, God would manifest his presence in a fresh way. That this rustling of God is coming. But on this occasion in Genesis chapter 3, God is approaching the man and the woman, and they are hiding. And God says these words Where are you? Now, God is all knowing, God isn't going, Oh, I have no idea where I, oh, this is going to be the first game of hide and seek. What a great, no, no, this is not a game. In a sense, God isn't asking a question because he doesn't know. He's making a statement that something has shifted. And he wants the man and the woman to hear the question, where are you? We heard you were coming, and we were afraid, and so we are hiding. We're hiding because we are naked. The entry point of shame. Shame causes us to hide shame causes us to cover up our nakedness we don't want to be exposed as incompetent or weak or in any way flawed and so we cover up did you realize that God is still asking the question today where are you and why are you hiding another way of looking at shame is shame is a parasite and a parasite for it to survive it needs a host So if you look at shame as a parasite, the host is a vulnerable human soul. And so at the age of six, shame saw a vulnerable little boy whose father was disengaged. And this little boy believed he was a complete failure, a quitter, a mistake. And so shame got in to this little boy, this ever-saw alien. It's just shame gets in. It's a parasite looking for a vulnerable soul. And then this this parasite of shame feeds off the soul and its primary food is secrecy and hiddenness. Don't tell anyone your story. Don't tell anyone why you feel shame. What I want you to do is cover up and hide. And the more that we hide and the more that we cover up, the more that shame thrives in our vulnerability. So how do we deal with shame? If shame can get on us, surely shame can get off us. And so this is how we go through the journey of getting shame off us. We first need to remove our covering. For the man or the woman, they covered their nakedness with fig leaves. It was, let me cover my shame, my way, my terms. But let's face it. It was pathetic. The fig leaves cannot really hide shame. That sense of nakedness, that fear of being exposed as incompetence. So what we do, we, we, we cover our shame, not with fig leaves today. Oh no, we're a lot more sophisticated, 21st century one of the ways we can cover shame is busyness. I don't know why more now than any other time in history, if you ask someone, how are you? Their response is, I'm busy. I'm busy. Busy is covering. Because really what we're saying is, when I'm, we're saying I'm busy, it's I'm important. The world will not survive without me. I've got to be busy. Busy being what? Busy doing what? Perfectionism. Here's a little bit of insight into my dysfunction. I'm getting better at it, but there was a time, I didn't know it at the time, but there was a time, if you went into my wardrobe, you'll notice I had all of my casual shirts and then my formal shirts. You think, oh, that's it's all right. No, wait, wait, wait. If it had red in it, it had a red coat hanger. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sick. If it had blue in it, it was a blue coat hanger. If you saw my CD collection, a lot of young people think, what's a CD? Ask your parents. But if you ask all my uh, vineyard worship and all of my other... It is alphabetical order. There were times... My, Karen will be out and, and I will spend an hour reorganising the pantry. Oh, what what guy does that? Didn't bother Karen, she'd come home and it's just like, oh my goodness, all the sauces in the row, in alphabetical order, herbs and spices, alphabetical order, it was just and it was my way, my perfectionism was a way of, oh, I can control my pantry, I can control, if I can just control this area of my life and it's perfect, maybe it sort of helps cover up my inadequacy and my fear of being exposed. Entertainment is another great way of covering up our shame. Growing up, I still remember getting on the red, um, we, I think we, I didn't call them a train, I think it was called a body rattler. it was these old red trains in Sydney, you'd you just be, just like this, it was just, oh, having a great ride, and all the way from Duneside to Parramatta, and we'd go to watch a movie once a year, it was a treat, chitty chitty bang bang, the sound of music, it was incredible. And then later in life, as we, we got a little wealthier, we we owned a TV. And every now and then, maybe once a month, we would watch Bill Collins' Golden Years of Hollywood. Wow. It was a treat. Today, Netflix. Ah, what did you do this weekend? Just watch Prison Break all four seasons. Like, ah. Wow. Talking about a lot of espresso, but I I watched the whole, no ads, I just watched the whole lot in one weekend. We are so over-medicated, over-entertained, we're so busy covering shame. So we are to courageously remove our covering, and at the same time, we are to courageously put on a new covering. We put on the covering of Christ. If you look at Jesus' crucifixion, we get the impression that the Romans invented the cross. No, they didn't. They just perfected it. Through experimentation, the Romans found a way of extending and intensifying the pain. And so here is Jesus crucified between two criminals. The physical pain would be oh, in almost incomprehensible. Of course, keeping in mind that Jesus has already had his back and possibly his front ripped open through the Roman whip. That wasn't just leather. It was bits of metal and pottery and glass. So that when it catches The flesh. It can rip off handfuls at a time. There is every chance that you could see some of Jesus' internal organs exposed. His whole body was ripped apart before he got on the cross. And then he had the sin of the world on his body. Then he had people yelling at him and cursing him. In other words, what the Romans designed wasn't just torture but humiliation. To be exposed for hours at a time with at times excrement at the bottom of the cross. You are in such pain that you lose all bodily control. No wonder we go to Hebrews chapter 12 when we read that Jesus endured the cross scorning its shame. Interesting. He didn't just endure the cross. He didn't just remain faithful to the Father by enduring the cross. He scorned its shame. The cross was designed to humiliate The cross was designed to humiliate, to scorn, to belittle Jesus. And what Jesus did, he belittled shame. He humiliated shame. He endured the cross and he scorned, belittled, humiliated shame. He basically said, shame will not have the last words. Grace will. He scorned its shame. We are to put on the garment of Christ. The garment of righteousness. That we, with Jesus, can scorn shame. We can belittle shame. We can humiliate shame. There was a time I lived in hiddenness. No one knew my story. And because of hiddenness and secrecy, shame thrived. But every time I go public... Shame has no power. Shame has no voice. Shame has no host anymore to feed off. I don't cover myself with entertainment, busyness and perfectionism. I'm not perfect, but it's no longer my covering. My garment of choice is the righteousness of Jesus. And so the key of getting out of shame is to break the secrecy, to come out of your hiding. And with Christ and with this covering of Christ, you too can hear these words. Shame off you. How many times have you had a thought, a fearful thought, a negative thought, a shameful thought, hundreds and thousands of thoughts, and yet you only have to hear shame off you from the Father once, and it cancels all those other thoughts. It trumps all those other thoughts. Shame doesn't have the last word. Grace does. Where shame abounds, grace abounds much more. Let's finish with an exercise. Using our imagination... Some, uh, you know, speakers, entrepreneurs might call this visualization. It's something that God has used for a long time. He even said it to Abraham before he had a child. At nighttime, go out, look at the stars, get a visual, and start counting that will be the number of your ancestors so what we're going to do now is god-ordained it's very biblical use our imagination it may be helpful you don't have to it may be helpful to close your eyes and this is how it goes for a moment imagine that shame is actually a person it's more than a thought a voice a feeling He's a person, and you approach Shane one day, and you said, hey, Shane, I'd like to take you out on an adventure, just the two of us. And Shane cannot believe that you are personally inviting him on an adventure. Like Shane said, I've been trying to get your attention for so long. i have trying to get alone time for so long. It's, where are we going? Just, just tomorrow morning, show up at the quay, and there'll be a boat I'm gonna take you out on a journey. And so, first thing in the morning, shame meets you at the quay, and there's this boat, and you get on the boat, and shame comes on with you, and out you go. Past the breakwater, hour after hour, and shame is wondering, just surrounded by ocean, and you know, are we there yet? You just give it the silent treatment. So, where are we going? Are we there yet? Another couple of hours pass, and shame sees in the distance a a little island. And you arrive at the island, and you get out, and shame says, so what are we going to do now? And you say to shame, we're going to play a game of hide and seek. A little bit ironic. How do you play this? Well, shame, if you can count to 50, and at the end of that time, you've got to close your eyes the end of the time you just say ready or not here I come and then you've got to look for me I've never played this before though it does sound familiar and so shame starts one two three four very quietly you make your way to the edge of the water and you start walking towards the boat you start pushing the boat out you get on it very quietly You don't have the motor on, you're just sort of very quietly paddling, 25, 26, 27, and you're getting further and further away. And then you hear, 49, 50, ready or not, here I come, you can hear in the distance. (laughs) Shame is looking for you on the island, and then you start hearing shame, where are you? Where are you? Rather ironic question to ask. Where are you? It's getting fainter and fainter. You you put on the little outboard motor and you start going further and further away from the island. You can just barely hear. Where are you? And for the first time in a long time, you are Let's pray. Our Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we are forever grateful for the message of grace that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he endured the cross and scorned its shame. That Jesus actually belittled and humiliated shame. He put shame on display and showed it for what it is, this insidious spirit of darkness. And we are so grateful that shame does not have the last word, grace does. And I pray now in the name of Jesus for anyone who has and is feeling shame, that shame is that parasite, that their vulnerable soul is the host and they've been hosting shame that through the authority that they have in Jesus Christ, they will say, be gone in the name of Jesus. Get out in the name of Jesus. God the Father would say to each one of you this morning, shame off you. I remove shame off you. Off you. Get out in the name of Jesus. It's taken me some 10 years to battle with freedom from anxiety but I can testify it only took a moment to get the shame off me it only takes a moment shame off you shame off you shame off you now breathe in The life of God. Notice your posture. In fact, why don't we stand? Why don't we take a posture of defiance, a posture of confidence, a posture where we are standing in the presence of God, a posture that is no longer under the weight of shame, a posture that is upright, that is confident, that is bold, that is free. Ah, oh, shame off you. And we run and we don't grow weary. We can hear the voice of God again, we can read the word and get clarity again. We can have a stirring in our spirit to give a prophetic word and we give it again because shame is off you and Christ is covering you and Christ is filling you. We are covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, hello. This is living. Living without shame. Living covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And this morning during worship, I believe the Lord gave me a word for you. That your voice comes from not here. Your voice actually comes straight from the heart. You are a worshipper. You are a worshipper and you can lead people in worship. And yes, there may be times of training your voice and training breathing. But you are Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus. And you sit at His feet and you listen and you hear His voice. You encounter Him. And out of that heart of a worshiper, you sing. And you sing songs of freedom. Songs of freedom. If you would like to have a journey, you can go to my website, robmason.co and you can join the shame off you tribe. Doesn't cost a cent. And every few weeks, I'll send you a few words about shame, about mental health, about sleep, about diet, about exercise, and how you can live in freedom. But Thank you so much. Not listening to me, but listening to the heart of the Father who says, shame off you. I'd like to hand over to your pastor now.
0: Ooh, was that good? I thought it was good, you talked to me. Rob, you've written a book too, haven't you? You're writing a book. So Rob is writing a book called Shame Off. So keep out, look out for that. Um, thanks Rob, that's awesome to share honestly. Um, and also to tie it up, it makes a lot of sense. So thank you. We're going to uh, we're going to sing a, a song I want just to close off the service. But you know, I just not want you to run off. If you feel you need prayer, maybe you're struggling with some of that stuff. Maybe that you you had that vision, but you just you know there's just a darkness in you, and you just can't say shame off. Maybe there's just a block maybe you're just going I want to be there but I just can't come down the front let's stand with you let's let's talk to the father together let's let's hear what he would have to say and if you see people up the front here our prayer team aren't here today I don't think so if you just want to come up the front and pray for people please do that do that don't hold back come and pray and support each other but if you want prayer in this last song just come up the front here and Rob will be here I'll be here and we'll have others as well and let's pray together but before we do, let's just make our declaration today. And our declaration, if you've got that up on the slide. Thanks, Adam. Did a great job today, mate. Awesome, man. Here we go. Our declaration today is simple. I am worthy. From John 8, 34. Who the Son makes free is free indeed. Let's just say that together. Ready? All together. I declare I am worthy. John 8:34. Who the Son makes free is free indeed. Amen. Let's sing this song. God bless you. Thanks, Rob. Make sure you come forward for prayer for ministry.